We're off to the UK to visit with Andy Jennings and Tom Livemore of Dissident Profit. Guys, good to have you here on The Antidote. Great stuff, Doug. Hey, thanks for having us on. It's cool. Dissident Profit seems to have been around forever. I mean, how long has it been now? Two decades? Yep, two decades. That's right, yeah. And how was it that you decided to take on the name Dissident Profit? If we're really honest, we were rushed into coming up with a name. <laughs> There's the truth. <laughs> um, we, uh, we did two gigs, and by the second gig, we were offered a record deal. And so we had to rush and we hadn't got a name for those gigs. I think by the second gig, we nearly got a name. Uh, so, yeah, the first gig we did, we didn't really have a name. <laughs> so, yeah, we rushed into it, as you can tell. We called Dissident Profit. And, uh, we, if we'd have thought about it more, we wouldn't be called that probably. But there you go. Too late now. How many bands want to get offered a record label after two gigs? How many, how many people want to do that? <laughs> well, Tom and I, when we met, we were both in secular bands. Uh, I wasn't a Christian or a believer in Jesus. Uh, Tom was. But um, we used to meet and we used to get together in, in our secular separate bands. And uh, we were always trying to get record deals then. I mean, uh, sending tapes off. That was the days when they had tapes. But uh, we used to send them off to the record companies, and then the A&R men would come and see us play down London or wherever we were playing. And you'd be desperately trying to get a record deal, you know. Um, we came close at one point with VG Records getting the development thing with the secular band. But, hey, we worked hard. Uh, but how strange, when I became Christian and I kind of handed over the stuff to the Lord and thought, oh, I can't, I tried to write Christian songs when I became a Christian. And they were just full of cliches and re- religious words and stuff. So I, I, I handed it over to God. And about 18 months later... Uh, Tom and I started like uh, writing some songs that seemed to be inspired by a different spirit than just our own imagination. So, um, you know, and the Lord kind of uh, started different things. So, uh, when that happened, it's very strange. Things changed, and we ended up getting a record deal without him trying. <laughs> Weird. It was a secular record deal as well. It wasn't a Christian record deal or anything. So, so legitimately, it was a blessing. Yeah, it's strange. I, I was going to say, you know, it was a small label. So they didn't really put any constraints on us or anything. So we could talk about what we wanted to, and they were kind of fine with that. You know, that was nice too. Of course, setting the tone. I mean, that's what most record labels now are small. Yeah, very true. Yeah, but back then, two decades ago, it was a very different thing, getting a record deal and bringing out a record and stuff. It was all a big deal. You don't really bring out a record now, do you? It's just a um, digital download, isn't it? And uh, You know, what are record companies selling? It's a very different situation now. Very true. Your band has described dissident prophet music as apocalyptic indie rock band. There's a lot of apocalypse scenarios out there, you know, a giant meteor, plague, aliens, and of course my favorite are zombies. So mm-hmm. I got to ask, what kind of an apocalypse is dissident prophet expecting? <laughs> We're into all of them. <laughs> you want just to be a group effort. We hope they all happen at the same time. <laughs> all those scenarios, that would be lovely. All that, would, that would make quite a movie. Zombies carrying a meteor. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, really, where I live, you only have to go to the local shopping centre and it's in a zombie apocalypse anyway, already happening. So, yeah. <laughs> You're being harsh. <laughs> We're all being fluoridated. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're not going to get into fluoridation, are we? <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. I'm far, I'm solid gun, man. Don't worry. <laughs> you got to give the reference to that because I know where you're coming from about the fluoridation. <laughs> I think they pumped it up where I live because we used to get lovely water from Wales, where I live in Birmingham. 
uh, beautiful sweet water, and it, now it just tastes rank. I mean, you, you have a shower and you can smell this terrible toxic stuff coming out. It's, oh, that's weird. Anyway, <laughs> well, Andy, Andy and Mel, they they use rainwater now. They've got one of those big fancy filters. So yeah, they're okay. <laughs> you guys are I'm sounding not. like you're coming right out of Doctor <laughs> Strangelove. Don't you remember the insane American Colonel? Uh, yeah, yeah. The curse of the world has been fluoridation. Do you want to speak to him? <laughs> He's here. <laughs> His pineal glands far gone though, so I'm not going to get much out of him. <laughs> He's your band manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, my dad was a dentist, and he was always saying how wonderful fluoride was. So I just used to, I used to eat the toothpaste, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, you're talking about apocalyptic situations to get away from the fringe trivia. No, but I mean, I, I guess you know, from, from before I became a believer in Jesus, you know, it took me quite a few years to get there. I was stubborn, didn't want to become one, you know. But I kept bumping into these annoying <laughs> believers in Jesus, you know, who would tell me things. And some of them told me about things that were in the Bible, about the things that would happen, likely the scenarios that would probably happen before the return of Jesus. So that kind of made me kind of interested, actually, in the gospel because it was kind of relevant because, I mean, there's, a lot, there's always stuff going on in the world that you can kind of look into and think that's a bit weird. And I think certain big, big things, big scenarios... Perhaps the technological developments that are taking place in the world seem to fit in with what people were saying that could happen in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. <laughs> and uh, so I'm laughing because Tom's just got a big skeleton face and tried to scare me with it. Um, it was an apocalyptic scary face. Tom, stop it. <laughs> Cheeky. Anyway, so, so you know, um, when I became a Christian, it, it just continued, really, that kind of uh, looking into things from a truth perspective. You know, people are called truthers today, particularly since 9-11, aren't they? But, I mean, I'd say I was like... Probably a Christian is a truther, really. <laughs> Jesus is the truth on so many levels, and I guess it means that he's the truth about all the, all the questions we have about life, uh, the answers to so many things that are really important to us as human beings. Uh, so uh, quite a few of the things I sing about and we write songs about are about things that are going on in the world, you know, things that really get up my nose, rile me, you know, from education to government to religion, you know, those things, when you view them through the lens of a biblical worldview, uh, it makes you think about them. It makes you try and frame them, triangulate the truth about stuff. And I'm not saying I know all the truth, but you want to try. You, you don't want to give up and say, I oh, forget it. Um, I've, I've been kind of spiked since I became a believer in Jesus. And there's so much stuff in the Bible that just seems so relevant. I mean, I know people say it's a dusty old book, you know, that doesn't is irrelevant. Uh, I'd have to say absolutely the opposite to that, you know, um, if you do the hard work, if you decide to de delve in and wear those difficult things, the difficult verses that are in there or the, the strange things that are in the Bible, they're there for a reason for you to investigate. And uh, this world is a strange world. And the Bible makes sense of it, you know. True. So, yeah. Also, whenever I listen to the music of dissident prophets, I'm never sure if you're trying to aim your music towards Christians or non-Christians. Mm. You know, your lyrics seem to be split almost equally between evangelizing the listener and critiquing the church and society. Is there one single area that you'd like to focus on? No. I think it's just the whole council, the whole thing, from God's love for you, them hanging out with him, to issues of truth. I mean, you read the New Testament. It's full of stuff about problems and errors and mistakes and deceptions and stuff, and, uh, and there's, there's nothing new under the sun. So, And then there's stuff about making sense of the world, making sense of what's happening, what's happening in history, what's going to happen again. I mean, I, I guess it's just Jesus. He's just absolutely scary. He, he absolutely makes you think about stuff. Um, 
the whole gamut of information and stuff that you sing and dance about is quite varied. And it's not like a small little narrow avenue. I would say that we've we've never seemed to appeal particularly to Christians, have we? Especially no. not mainstream. No, Christians. they've they never really don't got seem it. To like us. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Actually, here's the deal: people might like the music and get off on that. That sounds like that, or that's nice, or whatever. And then they'll hear the music, uh, and then depending on where they're coming from, they'll go, "Oh, oh that's annoying." <laughs> Talking about Jesus. I mean, you don't even have to be talking about Jesus or truth, and we don't go about Jesus, really. We go about issues, things that have an answer from a biblical worldview. And I know that riles people because it riled me before I turned. So I understand, I sympathize totally with the riling, but hey, hey ho. <laughs> I do think, though, that there's something, you know, if you're listening to a singer and they really believe in what they're singing about, no matter whether you agree with it or not, there's something in that, I think, that's quite appealing. It's the passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, talking about it from the musical sense, Dissident Prophet really ranges. I mean, I, I love the list of some of the influences you, you gave on your website. Lou Reed, Larry Norman, David Bowie, Ramones, Velvet Underground, Blondie, Gang of Four, Talking Heads, The Stooges, you know, even going back to Lamb, which I remember from back in the 70s. That's a pretty huge range. Yeah, well, I'd say the Christian messianic music, the, I'd say only a couple of records that I really like, or bands that I like that are Christians, and Larry Norman. And it's not necessarily his style that I like, it's him, <laughs> what he says, and his sense of humor and stuff. And yeah, I'm not into blues, really, but you know, I, I just still love it, because it's genuine. I remember seeing him, actually, the one time, and uh, it was at a place called West Brom, and he came limping onto the stage, Larry Norman did, uh, with someone else's guitar, and a piece of string holding it on because he'd come off the airplane and broke his leg and then he'd have to borrow someone's guitar because it had smashed on the airplane and he, he just sat there for three hours and I could have listened to him talk all day let alone sing a few songs absolutely hilarious talked about truth you know, didn't shy away from anything make anything seem nice or anything I mean Tom introduced me to Larry Norman's music and I think there was another band King's X they were quite good and I remember um, and, and Lamb and one album by Cliff Richard which was mainly Larry Norman songs which was Small Corners which I rate as a really good album and that's admitting something isn't it saying you like Cliff Richard but do you know who Cliff Richard is? I do know who Cliff Richard is <laughs> <laughs> He's a bloke who walks around with a seagull on his head <laughs> Yeah, he's the guy that just lives under that park bench down the street. That's right, man. That's, that's my man. Yeah. So, so yeah, those are the three kind of Christian influences. And the rest is just like it's all that kind of new wave stuff from the very late 70s to early 80s. And before that, with the New, new York punk kind of stuff that came before punk and that, that kind of alternative stuff. Hence why you've got Talking Heads and the Stooges on your list. Yeah. Uh, I totally love it, man. It's brilliant music. Absolutely great. So it just influences, doesn't it, how you write stuff. But when you've got like a lot of those influences, lots of variety in that umbrella of music, it's great when you're writing songs because you've got all that kind of influence already in your head, so you just kind of pull things at what suits the kind of song. It's good fun. Well, let's go back to that one thing I'd brought up earlier about dealing with society and people's thoughts on it. You did a song on weapons of mass destruction called Running on the Wheel, and the lyrics read, the system's a monster, the system's a beast. Our freedom's been slain on the altar of peace. The prophets foretold it, our leaders pursue it. Grasping the wind, they can't shake off the disease. 
I realize that Christians live both in the world and are also mm. to be separate, but how do you achieve that? Um, I don't know how you do it. I think um, Jesus just said you're in the world but not of it. Um, the same rain falls on your head as someone who doesn't believe in God, and when you become a Christian, sometimes things even get harder, more difficult. But yeah, you, you see the world for what it is. I mean, it's like a form of cognitive dissonance. But the great thing is you do kind of have a heads up if you understand some of the things Jesus says. He says that it's, this is the way it is now. It's perishing this current age, this current system, this current thing. But there's a new age coming. So a Christian is a real new ager if you want to use the proper term. <laughs> of course, it's been hijacked. But the, the real new ager is, those who, is the new age of the real Jesus, not the false Jesus that might come soon, but the real Jesus that will come at the end and, and reign, bring his kingdom. Um, there's a lot of confusions. A lot of people think that sometimes that his kingdom is of this world and they're trying to build a kingdom or whatever, or they build you know, structures or systems and things. Uh, it's very strange to be a believer in Jesus. It's like a, you are a stranger in a strange land. Uh, you're a sojourner in the wilderness, a bit like when the people came out you know, with Moses and they came out of Egypt and they went into the, the desert for 40 years and stuff. I mean, it's a kind of, you've got to think of this world as a bit like the desert in the Middle East. It's quite beautiful and pretty. Uh, it's quite green, actually, but it's full of ravines and dangerous places to fall, particularly if you're a, you know, a goat or a sheep kind of thing. You know, uh, and so you've got to think of the world as being like that. But Jesus is the shepherd. He leads you through those places to green pastures. So we've got Jesus with us in this world while we're alive. But, hey, when we're out of here, this is just a blink in the eye. So it kind of gives you... You can get cross and you can get upset about the state of this world because it's a fallen world and because of evil and because of... And I know I'm, I'm fed up about myself because of my evil for what I'm like. Um, and I look forward to not being like that and being changed fully by Jesus. Um, so you kind of yearn for what God has put in your heart, which is the future, uh, where there's no sin, there's no evil. Um, I mean, I sometimes wonder how I'd live if I didn't believe in Jesus now in this current world. It's such a nuts place. It's scary. You've got like technology going off on all bases. It's uh, transhumanism, messing with biology. Uh, quite monstrous potential things happening. Uh, and Jesus did say, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would survive. I, I wonder what that means. I mean, we'll wait and see, watch that space. But he did say it's going to get very bad. Um, so really, as a Christian, your eyes has got to be extra-dimensional. It has got to be heavenly. Uh, and that's got to become more real to you than actually the three dimensions we live in now. Because that's real, but it's not half as real as God's reality. So that's where I'd come from. That kind of gives you solace, helps you to cope with this world. Yeah, you brought up that point as you were just speaking there about uh, transhumanism. Mm. There's been a lot of that happening in film in the last few years. You know, you had movies like Hannah, Lucy, and there's an upcoming one called Selfless. Yeah. Dissident Prophet gets into this on the new song that you've got coming up, Human 2.0. I would have taken the whole topic as only really being fiction, but it's obvious that Mm. you're really taking it seriously. Well, I take seriously the people who are taking it seriously. Um, Hugo de Garris, Nick Bostrom. You've got the head of Google. Uh, he, he's now head of coordinations at Google. Uh, what's, his, what's his name? Uh, uh, Ray Kurzweil. Kurt Kurzweil yeah. You know, these guys are serious transhumanists. And the speed at which technology is moving and the acceleration of the increase in speed of which technology is firing away, um, it's going to happen. I mean, I know that it, with the Tower of Babel, God said um, anything they imagined they would be able to do. And I think we're kind of at that point again. 
uh, man is talking about uh, reaching a point of singularity, which is basically when he's, he's, he's upgraded, he knows all things, becomes a god. This is how these kind of secular kind of uh, prophets speak. They, they wake up in the middle of the night excited about this idea, a bit like uh, Frankenstein or whatever his name is, you know, dreaming of this potential Superman, you know, the kind of dream that the Nazis had and other people have had, you know, the Uberman, the, um, that we can become a human 2.0. And it sounds, it's all sci-fi kind of ideas, but... If you follow the biology and follow the technology, look into it, you'll find that there are people taking this very seriously, particularly the military. The military are always ahead of these things. Well, I, I remember coming back, when, when I first came back um, like four years ago, and you, Andy, were saying to me, talking to me about transhumanism, hmm. and I hadn't heard anything about it. And um, I think it was that week there was a news article on it, um, and also stumbled across the clip on YouTube where it might have been somebody like Ray Kurzweil or some, mm. one of the big figures in it, mm. really angrily like attacking people who, who aren't into it, who aren't behind it, mm. saying that you're going to be like slaves to the new um, evolved human kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. And I hadn't heard anything about it before that. Yeah, they talk along the lines of man taking control of his own evolution. Uh, you know, so it's not just happening naturally. You know, he's making that step. Well, I think it was Darwin who said, will to survive. And Nietzsche said, that's not good enough. It's got to be the will to power. Um, it's like God's dead, but God isn't going to be dead because we'll be God soon. We're going to make God. It's going to be man. And it's so ironic because you only have to read chapter three of Genesis and you hear the same message from the fallen one, the shining one, whatever his name is. That this speaking creature um, offers mankind this opportunity to evolve. It's actually evolution's an ancient kind of theo- um, lie in a way because it's basically saying to man, you know, you can have a higher state. You know, God doesn't want you to eat from this because if He knows that if you do, you're going to be like God. You're going to be a God, equal with Him, kind of thing. But of course, we already had a wonderful position with God <laughs> just by having a relationship with Him, walking in the evening with Him, and learning and re- eating from the tree of life. And, of course, eating from the tree of life also now includes uh, GMO, <laughs> genetically modified foods. <laughs> right, yeah, you don't know what's happening to you. You don't know how many heavy metals you're absorbing, do you? Hey, we don't know. But um, I think that um, it's a very interesting time, and I, with the technology, it's a kind of nightmare scenario kind of thing. But I do think it fits in with possibly what the Scripture predicts in the last days. Jesus says all flesh would not survive unless the days were cut short. What does that mean, actually, just flesh ceases to exist? Does it mean that man, he's relating to man, human beings, will not technically be human as if we upgraded to a different type of human? Uh, We were made in God's image. I know that the enemy, uh, the fallen one, has always sought to kind of destroy that. And I I don't know where you're, you're at with this, Dave, but something I kind of find interesting in the pages of Genesis uh, chapter 6, it seems like there was an attempt, and, and a very, very successful attempt, where um, you get the, the details mentioned in the book of Enoch, but you get it mentioned in Genesis 6. It says that the fallen ones came down and had sex with women on earth. Who knows what they were, were they ain't certain types of cherubim, seraphim, I don't know. But it did say it happened, and it's in our Bible. And it says that they had offspring that were not human, that they were hybrids. So... <laughs> This sounds weird and wacky, but you know what? It's very strange. I know the Christian community doesn't talk about this stuff because, you know, it's tinfoil hat stuff. You know, talk about this at church and they'll show you the door and say, that's a bit weird for us. Come on, we're all <laughs> conservative here. Have a nice cup of tea and have a donut. 
But the Bible <laughs> that we have in our hands, <laughs> therefore, shouldn't be welcome in that room, you know, because it has these, these things. And it also makes an awful lot of sense. Say if I was the devil, right, and I want, I, I, there was a prophecy right at the beginning of the book of Genesis. God says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And you're the serpent, right? And you're thinking, well, how can I stop this from happening? I know I'll corrupt the seed of the woman <laughs> so that that seed can't be born. So the Messiah can't be born. And you see all these attempts throughout the Old Testament, numerous attempts to wipe out the Jewish people to stop that seed from being born. You know, as a, as a, from a cosmic chess match perspective, it makes such sense when you look at all the army, the, the battles that take place, Haman trying to wipe out the Jews, the Pharaohs trying to do it, um, to stop this prophecy being fulfilled of this Messiah that's going to be a human, it's going to be the son of man, yet he's going to be God. So I find it very interesting that... Um, that didn't happen. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Israel for a little trip. So we went up to Mount Hermon, to uh, Bashan, where it says in the Book of Enoch, the watchers came down on Mount Hermon to have sex with women and stuff. But that area was well known. Agur Bashan was a giant. Jesus chooses to take his disciples up there. He takes Peter. He walks all the way up. To, it's quite a long way, all the way up to northern Israel to stand exactly where the, they worshipped Pan and all this kind of stuff. It's not a nice place. His disciples would have not wanted to go there. They'd be thinking, why are you bringing us here? He takes him there to say, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Messiah. Boom, boom, fantastic. He says, and he says something that you, don't, you think, well, I don't understand that. He says, you're Peter, you're a Petros, you're a pebble, right? Okay, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. Well, actually, if you go to there on location... You can see where the gates of Hades, where they believe the gates of Hades were. And there's a huge rock. So he's standing on a rock. And he's actually, so he's basically declaring war against the spiritual principalities and powers, which tried to destroy him all those centuries before. So I find it fascinating. I find these things weird, but it's so exciting being a Christian because your worldview is supernatural, you know. And if you, if you think that's weird, then how do you explain Jesus dying and rising? How do you think, how explain being born of a virgin? It's amazing what people will accept and think that's okay. And then when you talk about these things like, you know, the fallen ones and, and hybrids and stuff, people don't want to listen to it. And yet if you would go on, on secular websites or go on the ancient alien stuff, they're talking about it all the time, except they don't get it because they don't ex acknowledge the biblical worldview. <laughs> How many Christians do you think have a selective viewpoint? Uh, about three, four, four and a half. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But yeah, yeah, we all have that. It's good to be continually challenged. I'm always changing my view as a Christian. It's always getting refined or changed or I'm rethinking things. So it's just good to be stay open-minded as a Christian. I don't understand a lot of things, but it's interesting. And it's great to be a Christian because you, you can search and if you ask God, he'll kind of show things to you. I mean, these aren't the most important things in the world. They're just interesting. The most important thing is uh, knowing that Jesus is the real deal. But when you frame the context of some of the things he says, you see, I, I don't understand a lot of things he says in the New Testament. They don't mean a lot to me. I'm not a Jew. I don't come from Israel. You know, I come from Northfield in Birmingham in a, in a country called England a long, long way away. So I don't understand the context. So I, I have to make the effort to put myself in that context and, and look at the context of who's saying what, why is he saying it, at what point, what does it mean? And if, if you do a little bit of hard, a little bit of legwork and you look at the context of things, try and understand or even look at the original language or something. It's amazing what you can kind of learn. It's cool. And it helps inform this strange world that we're living in and, it, and uh, make sense of stuff. So like we're talking about transhumanism. 
let's just say you can actually upgrade a human now, or you could even take a bit of DNA, say, from some skull and some bones from an ancient artifact or something in the past, like Jurassic Park. Well, they are able to do that, apparently. And who knows how far advanced the real science is. Um, that would be an interesting scenario, uh, and it might even fulfill something in prophecy about the return of the Antichrist. So he's been around before, but he's coming again. I don't know. I'm going to open mine. I'm just going to keep watching that space and keep reading the scripture and looking at the world and seeing what happens. Well, the antidote is speaking with Tom and Andy of Dissident Prophet about their new album, Red Moon Rising, which releases June 29th. The album title comes from the Book of Revelation, but how is Red Moon Rising significant to the band? I guess it's, um, well, it's more from the bit in Job where it says that the moon will, will uh, turn blood red. Um, we've used the word because we're kind of looking ahead at what may be on the horizon soon. Nothing to do with blood red moons and all this kind of stuff that's happened to people talking about it. It's to do with the time in the future when things are going to change on Earth and probably going to change in our solar system as a result of what God's going to do uh, and as a result of judgment. I mean, there's a day of judgment coming. Uh, it's not very popular to talk about that anywhere these days or to talk about it even in church circles, but it's talked of. And when you understand the context of that, it helps you to get ready. It helps you to understand why that judgment's coming. Um, and so the idea of the blood red moon, the sun no longer shining, it's an ominous thing. It's basically saying that's coming soon. Um, as we, We're living in a time now where we're seeing things leading up to prophetic events that may be very soon upon us. We've already had a lot happen, you can tell. The re-establishment of the nation of Israel, for example, that's got to be a big whammy. People can refuse to acknowledge that, but I understand that that's a big thing, whatever you, whether you're pro-Israel, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine, it doesn't matter. It's a fact. That was re-established in 1948, 1967, whatever date you want to call it. That means, prophetically, the 2,000 years of predominantly non-Jewish people coming to believe in the Jewish Messiah, kind of coming to an end, Jesus says, when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end. And when you see these things happening and the fig, learn from the fig tree, and uh, I think the re-establishment of the nation of Israel, uh, I'm not getting into politics or anything like that, it's just the fact and it's just a fulfillment of prophecy and I see these things coming upon us. It's more of a, a woeful thing for the nations that are coming against Israel more than anything. I think God's got Israel, the nation, he knows what he's doing with them. But so far as whether you're a Jew or, a, or not a Jew and you believe in Jesus, the way I see it is Christians are out of here soon. Don't know when. I'm not pre. I'm not sure if pre-trib, mid-trib, end-trib. You're not going to give us a specific date. I hope. No, no. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. But um, Jesus says, well, you know the season. You can get a taste of the season. No one knows the day of the hour. But when you see these things happen, you know, don't be a fool. Like you know, you know when the winds, cha- the weather's changing. You know when you see the leaves coming out on the fig tree that the, the summer's nearly here. There's going to be fruit soon. So as a Christian. It's very exciting to look ahead and think that soon it's all going to be all right with Jesus. But it's also, it's a double-edged sword. It's also not nice. It's also extremely upsetting because there's going to be a horrible time taking place. And I, I'm, that's unpopular, probably unpopular on radio. But um, Jesus talked about it and he talked about this stuff. About 23% of what he talked about was about the last days. I don't want to go on just about the last days. But when you're in the last days, it's worth talking about it. <laughs> you know, to bring up another one of the songs that is on Red Moon Rising... The lyrics of the word are drawn straight out of the Bible, but do you think it was really necessary to cover what could be thought of as old ground? Uh, I forget it. I can read the Bible, and it's old ground by the next day. You know, I I forget. I have to keep reading stuff. 
my brain's going. It's, it's, it's the pineal gland's gone, man. Fluoridation. Be careful. Um, uh, 20 years or 30 years ago, maybe people were more excited about the Word of God, the Bible. And I think there's been a real attack upon it. And people are really doubting whether it is perhaps true or perhaps I can rely on it or lean on it. Um, and also the person of Jesus. To keep reminding myself of who he is, because there's so many cults that keep wanting to tell me he isn't that. Salvation isn't that simple, Andy. You don't have to just believe in him. You've got to do this and do this. And if you do this, you can do that. And if pinch your nose. And, you know, this, everyone's got a different way of me getting saved. But the Bible tells me it's just simply faith in Jesus. So it's really important that I know who Jesus is. And so that, that song, the, the Word, is about um, who he is, just declaring what he has said, what the Bible said that he is. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, was with God, became flesh, dwelt amongst us. Uh, it's so important to understand that what we have with Jesus because there are other Jesuses out there. And one thing that all religions and cults are united about is the fact that Jesus is not God. They may disagree on many other things, but they'll all agree on that one fact. Jesus is not God. So that song's putting it where it is. Jesus is God according to what he said and what um, the prophet said. But it, it's important to get his testimony when he has these conversations with the religious people of his day. They went to pick up stones to stone him. They ripped their shirt. They spat on him. For what reason? Because they knew what he was saying and he was claiming equality with God. Well, you were bringing up this whole topic on dig, where you call on Christians to seek the truth. But, of course, here comes the age-old question, what is truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess you're summarizing that right now. Yeah. I mean, hey, if we're left to work out what truth is ourselves in a kind of relativist way, hey, we're going to be stuck. I mean, I've been, I've been absolutely shocked in my time as being a Christian over the last 20 years at how much deception there is in amongst the Christian community, forget the cults, forget the religions, within the church. And yet they want to read my Bible, and it says that's what's going to happen. There will be people among you, there'll be people in church, false prosperity preachers, there'll be kingdom nag preachers, there'll be people do this, do that preachers, there'll be people denying Jesus is the Messiah, they'll be, they'll be in amongst you. Uh, I've been duped a few times myself. It's just, it's just been going to Jesus and the Word of God and saying, Lord, help me. I, I need you on my point of reference for truth. I certainly haven't got a handle on it. I'm not the truth. I don't know what I'm doing. So it's it, dependent on the person of Jesus and it's, of whether you trust him or not. It's a trust thing. And it, sometimes it's difficult being a Christian. You have to actually just purely trust Jesus as God and uh, he'll come through with you. But we know that we have an enemy who attacks our mind uh, in Ephesians, it tells us to put on the helmet salvation and put on the armor and stuff. But the fiery darts come. Um, I think when you become a Christian, it's worth being told you're at war. Have you ever seen Quantum Leap? You know Quantum Leap when that bloke travels through time and stuff? Yeah. It's a bit like being him and suddenly you wake up in a scenario and you think, where am I? What am I doing? Who am I? On In the middle of a battlefield or something? And that's kind of what happens when you become a Christian, particularly when you get baptized enough and they suddenly, you suddenly get a real kick in. Suddenly you get a real difficult time. And I remember the time when Jesus said to Peter, he said, uh, you know, the devil wants to sift you. I was going, oof, no. You know, he says, but when he has, when you're restored, feed my sheep. So we do sometimes get sifted, but coming through it, you come through stronger. You come through, you've got to really examine your faith. You've got to keep examining your faith. Test everything. Um, don't believe everything you hear. And don't believe everything you believe yourself. Test it according to God's word. And, and that's why I think it's important to acknowledge that the, the Bible is a supernaturally inspired, truthful book. Uh, read it in context. Don't go silly. You know, be sensible about it. But, you know, when you read it and read it and you keep uh, testing it, you find that it really, really is an amazing 
document that God wants to bless us with to give us the truth. There are many books out there, but this is the, the one that actually is the, the truth <laughs> about history, about who God is, about who we are, about where we're from, where we're going, Israel, politics, the, you know, what's going on in the world, what's the answer, why does nothing work in the world, what's the problem, what's the answer. Uh, and it really answers that question for anyone seeking and searching. I, I meet a lot of people who have watched Zeitgeist. Yeah, I think 100,000 people have probably watched Zeitgeist. It's like a truth and movement movie, but basically shipwrecks your faith if you're not careful and tells you that the whole thing's the Christian's fault and Jesus is it's all a lie. You know, that kind of Gnostic idea, that kind of Da Vinci Code idea. Um, but a little bit, but if you take it apart and you search the references that are put in that, you'll find it all falls apart. But the devil, you see, he wants to keep you busy, not have you have enough time to go and check these things out. Well, most people wouldn't want to. They, they just think, yeah, that's right, that's right, that feels right to me. Uh, I actually got um, given that Zeitgeist movie by a very militant atheist um, when I was in the States, and, uh, and it did really shake me, it really shook my, my faith, and it made me go and really do a lot of digging, um, find books, and it actually strengthened my faith in the end quite a lot. But if, if I'd just taken it as uh, face value, yeah, I would have been um, quite shaken. I'm starting to wonder if you guys just shouldn't be either up in the pulpit preaching or into politics. Uh, we, we do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Public speaking is the number one fear of, of people, apparently. There was a survey done, <laughs> and I, I can attest to that. And then the second fear, top fear, is death. So you'd rather die than public speak. <laughs> That's where I am. I'll accept that for myself, too. Listen, if I were to ask you guys, how would you summarize Red Moon Rising? Um, I, I, I think it, does, it has that sort of ominous feel, um, especially at the start of it. Um, you know, the first three tracks does give you that. It kind of does have that apocalyptic sort of ominous thing going on um well which is appropriate because you're a pocket yeah, yeah, yeah. band yes <laughs> it's a new genre well, um, we, we are actually an apocalyptic rhubarb punk band rhubarb rhubarb because we did a song that was a bit it was a bit kind of like swampy and it sounded like a song off a cartoon off a cartoon you'd, you'd never using, have seen it was just called rhubarb and custard and and uh it sounded a bit like the track off that, and so we thought we'd make up our own genre of music, and we called it. And people run with it, man. They went, "What's this rhubarb punk stuff?" <laughs> and uh, so, oh yeah, it's just there's quite a few bands that are rhubarb. You know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. It just shows you can lie and get away with it. Never mind. But yeah, yeah. Then, I guess the the album kind of shifts quite a lot in the feel. So we're hoping that the last song is quite triumphant and. Um, uplifting, you know. <laughs> I yeah. think it is. Meaning he sat down, that yeah. song. he sat down, yeah. Yeah. When we play that live, it's quite a nice one to finish on. Yeah, so it's always a good one to play. Because we, we don't really play Christian venues, we tend to play uh, secular venues, and pubs and things and whatever. And uh, to play that song is quite a weird thing, really, because we sometimes come away from playing some of the songs thinking, did we really just <laughs> sing them songs, you know, to a bunch of unbelievers, like, you know, what, 
if I was old, I wouldn't punch my face. <laughs> you know, something, you know, because I'd be angry or something, you know, because I've been on the other side. I've been a non-Christian and stuff. But um, it's it's great to be able to, like, sing about Jesus. And uh, that that that's that He Sat Down songs were basically summed up. The whole thing where he just feet, he washes their feet and everything. He takes off his robe, washes the feet, puts his robe back on. That's no, just the whole gospel. Comes down from heaven, dies on the cross, goes back to heaven. Job done. It's finished. You know, I love that. It's so profound. Whoever, you know, that was written very cleverly, wasn't it, by the gospel writer? He knew what he's doing there. You know, I'm curious as to whether people might consider distant prophet to be more as troublemakers than prophets. <laughs> mm. uh, not trying to troublemake. The, the thing is, we we are troublemakers, but because we're with a troublemaker. You see, our, our, our boss is a bit of a troublemaker. You see, he's a rebel. That's the trouble. Everyone's a rebel. A rebel for the devil or the living God. Everyone on the planet Earth, seven billion of us, all rebels. And uh, we've got a choice whether we rebel against the fallen one, who is the current God of this age, as Jesus said. Like Jesus was a rebel, refused to compromise and uh, refused to uh, go along with the devil. And he was tempted to. He offered him the kingdoms of the world and all this stuff, and he passed it up. Where Adam would have failed and you and I failed, Jesus succeeded. Uh, humbled himself. Isn't it great how the God of the Bible is so humble? He doesn't have to be because he's God, uh, and yet he's humble. I, I find it amazing how proud man is and how humble God is. is a, an amazing thing. Yeah, he's a rebel. He's refused to go along with it, and he, he boy, he suffered for it. He took the beating for it. You know, he took 15 rounds, like, like Rocky with Apollo in the ring, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But he won the bride. I love you, Adrian. <laughs> I get a bit of turtle food, yeah. Sylvester Stallone's got to watch out. That's right. And then You're he comes take it over. <laughs> and then he he comes back and he beats Apollo Creed the next time, doesn't he? And he gets his bride. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, he's a bit of a rebel by nature of who he is. He has to be a rebel because this world is is um a counter to him. Uh he's the true dissident. He's not trying to be, he just is by nature. And I suppose when we become Christians, a bit of it rubs off and things that's that are important to him become important to us. It's just comes with the territory. Where will people be able to find Red Moon Rising and other music from Dissident Prophet? At dissidentprophet.com. That's short, sweet, and easy. We've got, we got a little video out called Human 2.0. A friend of ours called Gons from Canary Cry. Uh, he, he made it for us, and you can go and check that out on YouTube. It's called Human 2.0 by Dissident Prophet. Guys, thanks for coming on The Antidote. I really appreciate our talk. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Loved it, man. <laughs>